one another. Who will roll away the stone for us from the door of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone was rolled away back. It was very large, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were very... (laughs) And they were amazed. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where you laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him as he told you. Thank you very much for reading our scripture today, Ezra. He is risen. All right, if you're like me and you were raised the Lutheran, uh, you know that. Some of you are going, what's that all about? But uh, it is good to see you on Resurrection Sunday. Amen? Thank you, Ezra, for reading today. A lot of you wouldn't have the boldness to get up here and do that, I bet you. You know, they say, I think I've told you this before, they do studies and they say the greatest, they rank greatest fears, that the second greatest fear in the world is public public speaking, and it ranks above death. So that means people would say they're more afraid to public speak than they are to die. And so I don't know how that is, but Ezra, thank you for reading our scripture today. You did an awesome job. Well, Easter is here, finally. Somebody told me this morning, they said, this is my favorite day of the year. And we were talking about that. I said, I think one reason I love Easter is that it's maybe not been as hijacked as Christmas. And, uh, and so we get to just celebrate the fact that Jesus really is alive. And I think a lot of times we don't remember that. We think, yeah, well, that's maybe in the past. But the reality of Easter is that Jesus is alive today, that the grave couldn't hold him, that the angels, we read the text, the angels said, he has risen, he's not here. And so I've been thinking, obviously, with with my job, right, is, is to be run, it, run church. So I've been thinking a lot about Easter lately. I've been thinking a lot about the resurrection, and I was thinking this about it. I was thinking that, that um, this event that we celebrate today, how it has so amazingly changed the world. It just made the world completely different from the day of the resurrection to this day. So I did a little research you ever do this? You just go online and you do research for things? And, and I, I looked up um, to the experts. Whoever, who are the experts? I'm not sure those people on Google. But uh, I looked at the experts and I, I looked at who were the most influential people to ever live, those who changed the world the most. And although the, and they came with all kinds of lists, and you can do this later if you want, although the lists weren't exactly the same, they were all almost the same. And they had pretty much the same group of people on them. They had people like Albert Einstein, Isaac Newton, Leonardo da Vinci, Aristotle, Alexander the Great, Adolf Hitler, people who had to change the world the most, who affected it the most. And almost every list that I looked at had the same person as the most influential. And I say this, the only lists that didn't have this person as the most influential didn't have any religious people religious characters on their lists. So almost every single one said this, the single most influential person in all of human history is Jesus Christ. 
that almost every list, not Christian people making these lists, people who study history say the most influential person of all time is Jesus. And I've been thinking about that reality. Why would a Jewish rabbi from some small little town, the Nazarene, almost 2,000 years ago, become the most important figure in all of human history? Well, this is what I know. It surely can't be because he was just a good moral teacher. And that's what some people want to make Jesus out to, just a good moral teacher. That can't be it because we have had um, just many, many, many good moral teachers over the, over the millennia of time that humans have existed. So that can't be it. It surely can't be because he was killed for his faith. Because whether you know it or not, millions of people throughout human history have been killed for standing up for their faith and re, and from, of all religions and refusing to denounce their beliefs. Millions of people have been killed. It surely can't be because as he ministered, he was somehow so effective that he had this large following of people who was going to follow him because at the end of his life, he had almost nobody following him. And if you look at what the Bible teaches about the, the timeline of Jesus' life, you realize at the very end of Jesus' life on earth, the crowds, it said, were the ones shouting, crucify him. And even the closest ones to him had fled and scattered and didn't want to be counted as his followers. When they asked his very closest friend, Peter, you're one of his, what did he do three times? Don't know the guy. So it couldn't be that he had this mass of people who followed him, and that that, that large crowd just kept swelling through 2,000 years. That can't be it. So why? How did this Jewish unknown rabbi from a no-name place like Nazareth become the most influential person to ever walk the face of the earth. It's because of Easter. It's because of what we celebrate today. He, the one who claimed to be the very Son of God, and understand many other people had claimed to be God or the Son of God or the daughters of God. That had been done many times, so it wasn't for that claiming. No, but Jesus proved that he was and is the Son of God, the Savior of the world when the role, when the tombs was rolled away, the rock was rolled away, and the tomb was empty, and he rose from the dead to ascend to the right hand of God and to never die again. No one else has ever been able to do that. Easter, the day he rose from the dead, was what we're calling here his day one, the beginning of a brand new life for Jesus, the day he proved that he is the Savior of the world, the day that the world changed a new day, all because the tomb is still empty. And for millions upon millions of people from that day until today, when they come to know Jesus as their very own Savior, that it becomes their day one. The day that everything changes in their life. The day that you can say, my life was like this, then I met Jesus. He's alive and everything that follows is different. You see, the Bible and and human history are full of examples of this. And I think one of the most extraordinary examples of this transformation in a person's life when they come to know Jesus, they have their day one, is a story that's found in the Bible of a man named Saul of Tarsus. And some of you are familiar with him. He, because of of a day one encounter with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, 
This man is transformed and everything in his life changes and he became known later as the great apostle Paul who wrote about half of the New Testament that you read. So let's look at what the Bible says about Saul's day one experience with Jesus and see what happened to him on the day that he met Christ. Acts chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, you can turn around, turn, turn with me. If you have your phones, you can fire them up and turn to your Bible app and go to Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at the first eight verses in the book of Acts and, and find about this man named Saul that later we know becomes Paul. Verse 1 of chapter 9 says this. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, that's the Lord Jesus, went to the high priest. So he's a persecutor of Christians. His, his role as a religious figure in his day was to hunt down, imprison, and kill Christians. And he was part of killing some of the earliest Christians. Verse 2. And he asked for letters from him, from the high priest, um, to the synagogue uh, of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, the way was the, how they describe those who followed Jesus, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem, where they'd be put to trial. And he was, as he was traveling, it happened that he, as he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. And the man who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him to Damascus. We'll stop there. The scripture goes on to say that in Damascus, Paul was told what, 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 what his life would be. That he would go from that point, his life was going to change, not persecuting Christians anymore. Now he would go to the Gentiles, non-Jews, and to kings, it says, and tell about Jesus. And that's exactly what he did. For the rest of his life, he traveled from city to city to city and country to country and told people about how Jesus had invaded his life and changed everything because Jesus was alive and Jesus is the Savior of the world. All of that happened Because Jesus, after he had been killed, after he had been put in the tomb, after he was dead and buried, he rose from the dead. And that alive Jesus invaded Paul's life, Saul's life, on the road to Damascus. And because of that encounter, everything changed in Saul's life. His life really began, if you look at his life, you talk to him, you'd say, my life began on that day. It was his day one, the first day of the rest of his life with Jesus in his life, now as his Savior and as his Lord. You know, what an extraordinary day for Saul. A bright light blinds him. It says later in this text that, that scales fell from his eyes when he was prayed for by another person and he could see again a voice from heaven that everybody around him hears. He has this extraordinary experience with Jesus. It'd be pretty extraordinary, right? Right. Let me ask you all a question. Have you ever had that kind of encounter with God? Has anybody in here ever had that kind of experience with Jesus? Probably not. You've had a real experience. 
a very real experience, but extraordinary? Maybe not. For most of us, our encounters with Jesus aren't quite so extraordinary. They are real um, in those encounters, and our lives are changed also. We have our own day ones, the first day of our rest of our lives, now knowing Jesus as our Savior and Lord. You know, we see that kind of encounter, that not-so-extraordinary encounter, also in Scripture. I think about the day of Pentecost. Just 50 days after Jesus had risen from the grave, Jesus had ascended to heaven, and Jesus' followers were gathered in Jerusalem praying. And it says the Holy Spirit came upon them in a rather, for them, extraordinary way. It says tongues of fire. What would that have been like? Tongues of fire rested on their heads, all 120 of them that were praying, and began to speak in languages they had never learned, telling, it says, falling out going in the streets, telling of the mighty deeds of God. For them, that 120, it was a very extraordinary day. However, there was a huge crowd of people, literally thousands of people that were gathered because of the, because of the holiday that was in Jerusalem, Pentecost. This huge crowd came, comes around. And they knew some type of disturbance was happening, but they didn't know what it was. They weren't speaking in these tongues. They didn't see tongues of fire. They didn't have any of that. And what they thought, it says in the Bible, get this, they thought they were just a bunch of drunk Jews. That's what they thought. The Bible says they thought that there was a, they were all drunk and they were just causing a ruckus in the street. If you're from Wisconsin, that's not all that extraordinary. I'm just being honest. To say you've been in a situation where there was a drunk person causing a ruckus, it's not that extraordinary. It's kind of like life. But Peter, one of Jesus' followers, stands up and he preaches a sermon explaining what's going on there. And I want us to notice a few things about what Peter had to stay, had to say. And we're going to look at, he actually preaches the whole sermon, and his sermon is recorded in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to kind of start in the middle of his sermon just after he explains that they're not drunk. You thought the Bible was a boring book. Just after he explains these people aren't drunk, he explains to them what's going on. So Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22, he says this. There's a couple verses here. It says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene. A man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predestined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Peter begins to tell the crowd about Jesus. The man, he says here, the man who God the Father in heaven had attested to. In other words, God had endorsed. God had said, this is my son. And he endorsed, it says here, by doing miracles and wonders through him. That Jesus had been killed, it says, by being nailed to a cross. But he says that God had raised him from the dead. Now I want you to notice something else that Peter then says in his, in his sermon. Look a little further to verse 36. Starting in verse, in verse 36. Therefore, 
Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. Now when they had heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to stop right there. As a result of him preaching that sermon, just a few chapter verses later, it says almost 3,000 people responded to his sermon and said yes to Jesus. They turned to Jesus as Savior and Lord. They had their day one, the first days of the first day of the rest of their lives with Jesus as their Savior. Now, there are some things I want to point out about this that I think are really important for us here today, 2,000 years later. First is this. The encounter the 3,000 had with Jesus wasn't really all that extraordinary. There was no shining lights. There were no voices from heaven. Peter is preaching, and Peter, a preacher, explains that the people aren't drunk, and he preaches about Jesus. He tells the history of what Je- who Jesus is and what he's done and how God has attested to him that he was endorsed by God, which was proven by the miracles he had performed, but more importantly, was proven when God raised him from the dead. And he says it's something that many of them had seen. They'd seen him alive for 50 days after he rose from the dead. And he says that when they heard about Jesus, when the crowd, when the thousands heard about Jesus through the sermon that Peter preached, not shining lights, not, not amazing things, not tongues of fire, just a sermon that Peter preached, it says this. They were pierced to the heart. Their hearts were pierced. Somehow they were affected and it changed them. Here's the question. How did that happen? How, how come Peter simply explains to them who Jesus is and, and, and what that means and their hearts are pierced and 3,000 of them say, I'm going to follow Jesus. How, how did that happen? It wasn't because, like Saul, that Jesus showed up in a bright light from heaven. No. Their hearts were pierced because the presence of God in the moment by, the, by God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God affects people when Jesus is preached, when Jesus is talked about, when Jesus is explained. When, it, when, when people explain who, who Jesus is, the Spirit of God comes to us and says, this is real. The reality of Jesus is and was present by the Holy Spirit when the message of Jesus is preached. Folks, that's as true and real today as it was on that first day. Because Easter reminds us of that because Jesus didn't just die and rise from the dead for day. Jesus is as alive today as he was then, and he is just as effective in our lives today as he was then. And he functions the same way now as he did then. So as I, or anybody, who explains about Jesus, then preaches about Jesus, or talks about Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God is then present to help us encounter 
the reality of Jesus in our own lives, in our own souls, and we are effective. That's why when I'm telling you about Jesus this morning on Easter, what I know that happens is something happens inside of our hearts. And something so often happens inside of our hearts that we say, this is for me. I need Jesus. I want Christ in my life. Why? We say something how we could describe it like they did. My heart is pierced. Or you could say somehow I just know, my knower just knows this is what I need. How could that happen? It happens because the Spirit of God is just as real now as he was to those 3,000 on the day. It's not necessarily extraordinary in the way we can see it, but it's extraordinary because it literally affects our hearts. It's the very real presence of our very real and alive God telling us that he is here for us and he wants us to be united with him. For you and me to have our day one experience, the first day of the rest of our lives with Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Now notice from the text what the crowd asked Peter when they experienced that piercing of their heart, that we could say maybe this tug of the Holy Spirit in their life. They said, I feel this. Now, they, they asked Peter a question when they experienced that, and they said this, what shall we do? And Peter answers this. He says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Basically, he's saying this. Peter says, respond. Respond to that inner working of the Holy Spirit in your life. And he says, the first thing we do is we repent. What's that mean? It simply means to have a change of mind, a change of your thinking that leads to a change in your actions. See, earlier in Peter's sermon, he explained that God had made Jesus both Lord and Christ. And what that means is that Jesus isn't just some nice moral teacher. No, Jesus is Lord meaning the one that, that people need to follow. That's why we become followers of Christ. We come in behind him and he's our leader. He's Lord and he's Christ, which means the anointed one or the one God endorsed, we said, empowered to rescue mankind from the guilt of our sins. So to repent, it means to have a change in thinking about Jesus, realizing that Jesus is Lord and Christ, not only to the world, but to each and every person. And then a change in action. Now when I recognize that, I make the choice to follow Jesus as Lord and in turn to, to have him rescue me from my sin and my guilt. We respond to what shall I do the same way they responded to what shall I do by changing how we think about Jesus and how we respond to Jesus. He now becomes our leader. He now becomes our Savior, the one that the text says, who is anointed or empowered to rescue us. And Peter also asked, adds, how do we respond? He said, how do we respond? Our hearts are pierced. How do we respond? He says, repent. And he says this. It's interesting. He says, be baptized. And he literally is meaning be baptized, where, where first people are dunked under water in the name of Jesus. Baptized. Baptism means to immerse. So why would he say that? Why would he say repent and be baptized? Because baptism is a way to show the world that you really have said yes to Jesus. That's why baptism was so important in Scripture and so important to us. Because it says, more than just my words, my actions say, I'm changing my thinking and I'm changing my direction. I'm so much changing my direction. I'm going to go get baptized as a way of saying that I've said yes to Jesus. 
Peter is saying that following Jesus is so important to the person once they have their day one that they will publicly show to their church family and to anybody else looking. Listen, I am now baptized into Christ. I'm now one of his followers. If you've had a day one, or if you're ready to have a day one, I want you to know something. Not next Sunday, but the Sunday after. Right after church on the 23rd of April. Right after church, we're going to have a a water baptism meeting, which is where we explain the water baptism. And out of that meeting then, you can say, hey, I'm ready to say, if you said yes to Jesus, I'm ready to say, I would love to be baptized. Just like the 3,000 were on that day. I invite our worship team to come this morning. So as we see here, Easter is a big deal. Easter is a big deal. It reminds us about the day on earth when everything changed. When Jesus, the Lord and the Anointed One, rose from the dead. And now as our risen Savior, He calls us by the voice of His Spirit to come to Him. To stop walking in our own way, and that's really what it is. We're changing direction. Stop walking in our own way, following just our own thinking and our own ways. Instead, turn and follow Jesus now as our leader, as our Savior, the one who saves us from our sins, and our Lord, the one who guides and directs our lives. The Spirit comes, and He pierces our hearts. Something inside of us, as we sit and we hear Jesus preached, says, this is what I need. Friends, that's not because of some um, phenomenal event. It's not because of lights from heaven. It's not because of tongues of fire. It's because the Spirit of God is so real in this world that when we sit and we hear about Jesus, the Spirit still affects our hearts. And He calls us by name and He says, I want you to be one of mine. I want you to be in my family. And then how do we respond? We say, what shall I do? And as Peter said, we repent. We change our thinking about who Jesus is. He's just not some moral teacher. Jesus isn't just some other religious leader. He is the only one who has died and rose for the day. Why did he die? He died to pay for our sins. He took the sin of the world upon himself as God, and he died, and he gave his life so that I don't have to go to the cross and die. I don't have to pay for my sins. He paid for them for me and for you. And he says, so let's just, let, he says, repent, change your thinking about Jesus. He's just not a moral teacher. He's the Lord God who loves you, gave his life for you, and he says, now come and follow me. That's what Easter reminds us about. My question is this, for for everybody in this place, have you said yes to Jesus today? And if not, is something going on inside of your heart right now, like those 3,000? Is something going on inside your, your soul right now saying, this is for me? Friends, that's not hype. That's not, I've not coerced you in the slightest bit. That is the spirit of the living God. And he's saying, he says, this, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. He invites us to come, to stop going at it on our own, and come and follow him and live under the, like the umbrella of his grace and his protection. That's what he wants for us today. And I'd love to help you say yes to Jesus if you've never done that. I'd like to just fight our whole congregation. Let's just, let's just have a moment of prayer. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. 
And I just want you to think about this for a moment. I let the apostle Peter explain who Jesus is through his very own sermon. He's God's anointed. He is God himself, the son of God. He came to this earth to give his life in the place of us. And then he offers to each of of us the chance to come to him, become his follower, change direction, going from us being our own God to now us following him as God. As we're in this moment, I just know this in my heart. The Spirit of God is doing what the Spirit of God does. And he's piercing our hearts. And he's saying, this is for you. And if that's happening inside of your heart this morning, you're saying this, you know, Pastor Mark, it's time for me to change my direction. It's time for me to follow after Jesus. I need to be forgiven. I need a brand new start. I want a brand new life. I want this day one where where the past is the past and now I have a bright future in Christ. And I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. If that's you today, so I'm going to invite you to do in just a moment. I'm going to invite our whole congregation to just pray a prayer out loud. Nothing special about the words. Nothing magical about them. We're just talking to God. But if you're ready to say, you know, Pastor Mark, today is the day. I want to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to invite you just to pray along with everybody else. Just mean this from the depth of your heart. And here's what I know, based also on Scripture. When you pray, God always hears. And He always receives you. So if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, let's pray this way. I'm going to invite the whole church to pray with me. Dear Jesus, I need you. Thank you for drawing me for pulling me to yourself. And today, I want to respond to your activity in my life. I know that I need you. So today, I change direction. I go from walking my own way to following after you. I ask you to come into my life wash away all the garbage and make me brand new. And from this day forward, I want to walk with you. Amen. The text we read said that's simply what happened on that day. When 3,000 people did that, then they followed, they got baptized, and you've done that. I'd love to talk to you in two Sundays about getting baptized. But 3,000 people did that. And for 3,000 people, their lives changed. We said, how did Jesus become the most influential person in history? Because he died and rose again. And after he was dead, he had no crowds. After he was born and rose again, people began to explain to other people about Jesus. And the Spirit of God began to pierce their hearts the way it happened. And they began to say yes to Jesus. And then they were baptized. And they began to tell other people about Jesus. And those people's hearts were pierced. Why? Because whenever we gospels preach, whenever Jesus preached, the Spirit pierces our hearts and says, this is for you, this is real. And they responded, and they were baptized, and they told their friends about it, and that's what happened. And literally changed the world that today on Easter Sunday, 
estimates about one billion people today are celebrating Jesus alive. From, from, if, from, from one time zone all the way around the time zone, every time zone on planet Earth, millions and millions and millions of people are taking the day, stepping, stepping, setting everything aside and say, let's celebrate that Jesus is alive because he's that real. And if you've said yes to Jesus, you've joined that family today. And I want you to know, if you've joined that family, um, you've joined our family, the the kingdom of God, the family of God, and and we welcome you into our family, and we're here to help you in any way we can um, in your walk with Jesus. So if you've said yes, you said yes to my day one today, I'm going to just encourage you to do a couple of things. Number one, before you go to sleep tonight, tell someone, you probably didn't come here on your own today. Somebody very likely brought you. Maybe you came on your own. But either way, if somebody brought you or you know somebody who is a follower of Jesus, before you go to bed tonight, tell somebody you said yes to Jesus. Here's why. It does two things. Number one, it cements it in for you. It says this is real. Number two, it gives that person you told some permission basically to say, hey, let's walk on this journey together. Let's walk together through this journey. So I want you to do that today. The other thing I would encourage you to do today is before you leave church, that you would either at the end of the service come up and talk to me and the people in the front, or you'd go to our follow area that's right outside the sanctuary to the left, and you'd get some material. We have some material we'd love to give you that, that helps you on your journey. For adults, it's called First Steps. For kids, it's called Follow. For youth, it's called Follow. We'd love to give you that material and, and help you on your beginning of your journey. We'd, if, if you'd want, we'd like to hook you up with somebody that could walk with you through your beginning journeys. And then we as a church will walk with you from that point on. If you said day one, you said yes to Jesus today, this is your day one. And scripture's not still being written, but if it were, there'd be a chapter that would say, And this day at this place called Port Washington, Wisconsin, the simple gospel was preached. And the Holy Spirit pierced the hearts of fill in the blank, your name, and the church rejoiced. And these people were added to the kingdom. It says 3,000 were added. It says these people were added to the family of God today. Friend, that's why we celebrate Easter. Easter reminds us of the truth. He is not dead. He is risen. Would you stand with me this morning? Worship with the worship team in closing. Um, If you would like prayer this morning, I'll be here. Our prayer team will be here. We'll gladly pray with you. We'll give you material if you said yes to Jesus. Otherwise, remember, right outside the doors to your left is a place to also get material. If you want prayer for other things, we're here. And after our song, then we'll come and we'll close.